the one with fish with legs. I really wish we could have because it was it would have been ideal for this week. We just had Parshas Noyach and the difference between the, an animal and, a, and, and a, a fish because the fish all lived. They didn't get killed and all the animals did get killed except the ones that were in the Teva. So it would have been great to discuss it this week, but I, I don't have time probably. If we do, fine. If not, maybe next week. Bishalakam is a topic and pets is an interesting topic. We hope to Let me tell you what we're really talking about tonight. This, I mentioned this story back somewhere along the line, once maybe in the six, seven years I'm on the show, so I, I feel I can say it a second time. There was, in, in, uh, in Sloan Kettering, on a Yom Kippur, late in the day they were, they were going to do Ne'ilah, and right before Ne'ilah, they asked a certain person who had been there for the few weeks with the person who was very sick in their family, a, a person who was, a, a, who was very well-educated, if he would say a few words before Ne'ilah, because there were about 12, 13 people in this little room where they were davening on Yom Kippur in Sloan Kettering. People who had relatives who were unfortunately in that hospital. And the man looked around the room and he said, next week we're going back. Many of us will not be here next week. At most, another week or two. But most of us are going back sometime this week. Friends, a family. And here, we have all these different kinds of people which Kaddish Baruch Hu put together people taking care of their relatives. Every different type of person is here. Hasidim, Misnagdim, Svardim, people with big yarmulkes, tiny yarmulkes, knitted yarmulkes, velvet yarmulkes, this yarmulke, that yarmulke. And some maybe I don't know if they were wearing yarmulkes regularly. And all and all of us are here and we're going home. And we're going home. And it's gonna be different. When we go home, we wouldn't talk to people like us. We wouldn't talk to people who are not like us. Only our friends, our relatives, our neighbors, the people we associate with. But not different types of people. So I want you to know that this is the real world. This is the real world. All of us here. Nobody's different. We're all the same. We're all here visiting our sick relatives. We're all trying to struggle that they should come out alive. And, and this is the real world. Nobody's different. We're all the same. It was a very moving story when I heard it, and I, I can't forget it. So if I said it again... <laughs> but what does it mean? What's the purpose of the story? It's that we're all the same and no one really is any holier than another person. Which means, which leads us to a question. We're invited to a relative. We're invited to a, a child, to a parent. And they're not the same as us. This one doesn't keep exactly the kashras that I do. 
that one, uh, you know, uh, they're not the same. They make adjustments, etc. But but I don't know exactly what's going on. I, I never looked in their cabinets. I don't want to go into the house and look in their cabinets. How do I know I can eat there? How do I know I can eat in my children's house? How do I know I can eat in my mother's house? I wasn't as religious when, when I was growing up. Now I'm very religious. And this is the kinds of thoughts that a lot of us have. And I'm invited to so-and-so's house. And there's a simcha, and there's a family simcha. And I'm invited to a chasana. And, and what do I do? This is a real question. This is a real question. We, we want not to make big, uh, uh, you know, big uh, they say good fences make good neighbors. We don't want to make fences between us. We don't want to make a, bring down a, a brick wall. We want to have as much as possible that we can associate with other people. And the question is, how do we do it? And, and, and what is, what is, what is, has to be, uh, what can we give up on and what can we not give up on? Can we eat out? You know, the way that people used to eat out, uh, some people don't today even probably also eat kosher in the house and non-kosher outside. Well, we're not talking about that. We're talking about strictly kosher. But what level? And even if it's the same level, but how do I know what he's using? So this is the question that so many people have. I'm going to go back to one more thing I mentioned, I'm sure, once, but I don't ever believe that I read it to you, so I'm going to read it to you now from the Orachayim HaKadosh. It's from two weeks ago. I wish I was going to do this last week, but we weren't able to come last week, so the, uh, the, the opportunity is now. The famous question, Adam Harishon, the first man, he eats the apple. Oh, no, I'm sorry, apple. We won't say an apple. We'll say, uh, you know, we'll, we'll say grape or whatever it was, whatever the tree was, right? He eats from the Eitz Hadas. And, 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 and uh, he, he's changed. He's now understanding. He didn't know about it. His wife gave it to him. So the Orcha Chaim HaKadosh deals with this question. The Orchayim HaKadosh says, first of all, how does he talk to his, to the to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? And he says, you know, Ha'isha asher nasata imadi, the woman that you gave me, what, what kind of chutzpah is that? Saying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the woman you gave me? I mean, nobody would talk that way to even add to another person, let alone the Melech Machali HaMalochim. How could he do that? So uh, this is one of the questions that the Orachayim HaKadosh takes up. And he comes back with a beautiful thing, which is a tremendous question. Adam had in mind, She brought him ready-made, here is the food to eat. Should he have to ask her, is it kosher? Is it glakosh? Is it good enough for me to eat? Should he have to ask that question? Everything is there that Hashem prepared in the Gan Eden for him to eat. It says, it says and he says, what does he say to Hashem? That you gave her, you gave her with me. 
He shouldn't have to go ahead and investigate after her. That's the question. Hashem gave him a helpmate. That's what it says in the Torah. He's a connecto. She's supposed to be helping him. There isn't bad coming from Hashem. He wouldn't give me a person who is a fifth columnist who's trying to undo me. He shouldn't have to inspect about her at all. Because if Hashem gave, it, gave uh, this woman to him as his wife, then he must be good. The Gemara says in Kedushan that we don't look if people are doing a voter in the base of Migdash, we don't look into them, we don't investigate. They are already chosen. They're the, they're the people who are doing the job that of the highest late nature. You don't have to look into them anymore. And here, she's been appointed as his helpmate, and they're going to be conducting the world. How could it be that Hashem gave him somebody who was not appropriate? Umikol Shekain. He shouldn't have to look into this at all. He shouldn't have to investigate. And then he said, So you can't blame Adam. He's either a shogeg or an ones. He, he didn't do anything. So why is he going to get punished? That's the question the Orachayim HaKadosh asks. And in, in, in my life, I always say the same thing. The question is the answer, as we will soon see. The question is the answer. The answer is, says the Orachayim HaKadosh, Pasuk Zion. He listened to his wife's voice. Shamata l'kol itacho. Hashem says, you listened to your wife, or you heard her voice. What is that? He took the food. He didn't look at it. She just said, here's the food. Go take it and eat. And he ate. He didn't inquire after it. The remote shall own Shamrolo Kach Go Hey, it's the question is the answer. He isn't supposed to take it and say, that's it, that's in his house. How much more so when he goes to somebody else, even a relative, or he's invited to a simcha, even a very religious simcha. every single thing we're not going to be able to eat in our own houses let alone in other people's houses and other people's houses you're not going to go over to somebody and say can i look all through your cabinet and, and be satisfied that it's kosher so we have a bit of a problem
Is it the way it looks here that everything has to be analyzed to the nth degree? We're trying to instruction from my Rebbe. My Rebbe, of Asher Zim and Zatzal, we as a family adopted the, 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 appro the approach that we go to a Rav. When we have a question, when something's bothering us, when we don't know how to handle something, whether it's a social nature or a halachic nature or a combination, usually they are. <laughs> usually the... Go to a rub. What do we do? We're invited to a simcha in the family. Or should we not go? Can we eat? Can we not eat? A big question. Religious people, obviously. We're not talking about now with non from people. We're talking about people of a different concept. So the Rav Zatzal said like this, you have to establish that there are certain things that you won't give on. Let's say you mark Benachal of Yisrael, you mark Benachal Yoshin, you only eat certain hashritos, you, certain things like this you can't give because that's something that you stand for. And if you stand for it, explain to them these are our standards. And if they can meet those standards, and you believe them, and then trust them, and then you eat there. And if they can't do it, so they'll say, well, maybe you want to have this instead, or whatever. But that's, but you have to understand that you're not supposed to give up everything just because it's a simcha, or just because the family invited you. You have to have, your concepts have to be observed. So that, that's the given, given, given that you have. But after that, you don't have to go and look into everything. And that's not fudging on halacha. That's not cheating. That's not the double standard. For a simcha, for a family situation, a certain amount of leniency you have to allow you. Go for that Shabbos or that Simcha or whatever it is, and you eat there. But the things that you have that are very important to you, you don't give on. You don't. You don't. You say those. That's me. I. I if you can work with it, if we can work in that, fine. And can you? Can we work this somewhere? I, I don't have to eat everything, but if I eat, this is what I have to have. So, very well. Decades. And, uh, and, and that's how we lived. Now, 
there's a, another psak from the Rav Zatzal, Rav Hashem and Zatzal, and this is very important. This gives you a little bit of understanding. He said like this. Now, again, you have to take it in I'm going to try to explain it a little bit. But the question was, and it came up very often, that somebody, and I get the question even until today, somebody did something, they baked something, they cooked something, and they used certain product that they would never have chosen. Because the hashkacha isn't what they would rely upon. It's, it, it, let's say it has a hashkacha. But it's one that they didn't, they wouldn't accept in the house, and they did put it into a cake, they did cook a piece of meat with it, they did use it. This that's a very, very, very common question. The Rav Zatzal was very clear. If it's a, I mean, listen again, if it's something. The fake kosher, you know that. I mean, not talking about that. I'm talking about with zashgacha that you would never take into your house. But you know, he's an orthodox rabbi. He tries his best according to his standards. He does something or other that you know, and you wouldn't rely on him in your house. Can you, if you used it, can you eat that? And the answer is yes. What's, who's telling you it's not kosher? When you're talking lichatchila, you're going to the store to buy A, B, and C, this a symbol and that symbol, you can choose. But something's in your cake and your Maybe you're dealing with it, 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 you, you, don't, you don't throw things out if they're usable. You have a very big question here. Of course, it depends how bad that uh, that, hash, that, that hashkoch is. I mean, as I said, if it's it's treif chaser, then it's treif chaser. But if if you don't feel that way, you sort of feel that we never take that in our house. But when it comes to the product, and very often I get these questions, and I have to answer them the way my rav told me. But I, but it depends. Again, I, I I'm much more familiar with the hashkochos than he was, and I and and I would understand where to draw the line. And um, in most cases, we end up with the, the people can eat the thing. So this gives you a little bit of an idea. I'm trying hard to give you an idea of where to go when it comes to these sticky situations with family, friends, invitations, etc. Now, with the caterer, game. the caterer hopefully has hashkocha. Caterer has hashkocha, so right away you can make a decision based on that. You don't have to ask the caterer what ketchup he uses. Uh, that's, uh, that's ridiculous. You're relying on harshkocha. But sometimes you go to places you don't know too much about it. So let me tell you a, a few two points that I think are very important in one story. One point is that, in general, all the glot kosher meats today are good. I personally would choose each one of them? No, I wouldn't. It's
as good. It's not the way it was 50 years ago and 30 years ago. It's not where they're, you know, don't you dare, don't, don't use that one. Don't, no, 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 don't buy that. We don't have that anymore. We just don't have it. I mean, somebody will, it's not, I only, question, you know, about using certain shritas. And I told them, it's pretty much the same today. Pretty much the same. But, you you know, one one if you like one better than another for certain reasons, fine. But you can't go ahead and make fun of the others anymore. And he, and he's, and he's talking about whether this particular shkacha is good. I said, for you personally in your house, you could do what you want. But when you go out, you're going to a simcha. Your kids are going to go out. They're going to go to a simcha. What are you going to do? You can't always say they're going to have to use that one shrita that you rely upon. So he said, no, he understands that. And he's going to be understanding when he goes out. So that's that's what we're talking about today. There's a, there's an there's an in house, there's an out of the house, there's lachatchila and bidiyevet. If something gets mixed up, of course, consult your rov. I'm not paskining here for the whole world. Whoever's listening, chicken that from the frumash gachas today, there aren't anybody. There's nobody that really is a faker or very, very weak. There may be some that are better. Okay, I'm not saying no. The other thing that you have to be very careful about, and I say this very strongly, wherever you go, you should not lose sight of the issue of the toloyim, of the insects. I believe that you Examining uh, the, the the produce before cleaning it properly, it's it, it's you can't believe the difference. One year, actually, like a year and a half ago, one year ago in the summer, this place right here, Flatbush, went around. We trained, went around to the to the stores, and found insects all over the place. And it was a, a mapecha. It was a, a, an unbelievable explosion here in Flatbush over a lot of things were done in that time. But any situation could be off. And there is something that you really do have to think a lot about what you want to eat uh, in, in, a, in a catered situation and how you want to rely on them. Some people can just hear the hashkoch. The name of the hashkoch is somebody we rely upon. Good. That's your decision. Other people might ask a question, what methodology are you using? Another want to see who the, you know, want to know what, what kind of mashkiach they have. Is it a special mashkiach? They buy from uh, some of the companies that produce specially in the greenhouses. Which one do they use? These are questions you, if you want to ask today, yes, these are appropriate to ask of a caterer. These are questions that might bother you. You might want to know the source of the meat, and you might want to know about the, the toloyim, how they protect, how they protect themselves. But that's basically where it really is at. Now one story. This story is a winner. I think I told it here. It's one of the saddest stories that I've ever heard, I've ever been through. 
It was a story of a wedding that took place about three years ago in the summer, actually beginning of the summer. A wedding that cost a lot of money. Not a little bit of money. A lot of money. And I can't even, I don't have no idea the Guzmans. I, I just know that the band was 15 pieces. And there were different, uh, there were different th groups that were singing, boys, uh, men. Uh, there was, uh, there was, there was, there was all kinds of. There was a total orchestra. It was the doves were there. They had doves, white doves. They let go. It, it was an orthodox wedding, very orthodox wedding, with a, a hashgacha that everybody in this who's listening to me knows. And they served strawberries. And I know strawberries are interesting, and I wanted to ask this rabbi about the strawberries, how he prepares it. But like an idiot, I didn't get to him right away. It was a few months later, because I didn't feel it. I mean, I felt if he did it, <laughs> then I'm sure it's good. But I just would like to know what he does. So I had a few months later, I had the opportunity to speak to him, and I told him the story, and I told him about the strawberries. He said, we don't have strawberries. Well, I said, you did then? I said, no, we don't have strawberries. <laughs> I said, I saw them. He said, uh, let me find out. Tell me the date, and I'll check the mashkiach, and I'll find out. The date, give him the date. He checks the mashkiach. The mashkiach says, there were no strawberries. There were no strawberries. You know, I have glasses, but Baruch Hashem, I see very well with them. I know what a strawberry looks like. I've eaten quite a few in my day. And, and it wasn't a little teeny-weeny pile of strawberries. It was about a foot high. And it wasn't an imitation. It was on the food table, and people were enjoying it. And it was clear as a bell that this is a big container of strawberries. But this place that we were talking about, this expensive, expensive, expensive simcha had two mashkicha. One stayed in the kitchen the whole time, and the other was working the floor. The floor was in several rooms. There were stations where the where man works or woman works, you know, giving out the food. There were at least 15 stations. It was a, a, a gigantic job. And there, sitting on the table, clear as a bell, a big pile of strawberries. Probably the mashkiach never saw it. It probably came out, got served, and he didn't even know about it. I, I, it's sad, but that's probably what happened. The Rav said, there were no strawberries. I said, I saw it. He said, my mashkiach says there were no strawberries, and I choose to believe him and not you. Wow. That was that was very hard for me to handle. Very hard to handle. First of all, I mean, this is my game, Kashas, right? And I'm coming to him, and I saw it, and it was, it, and it made an impression upon me, and it could have happened that it was taken out by accident, and they didn't know about it. But he wouldn't believe me. And that made me think a lot about this rough. I, I can't, would not recommend this rough to anybody. If they would ask me, you know, uh, this rabbi, I'd say, well, you know, uh, I wouldn't tell him the story. I can't. It's lush and horror, I think. I don't think it's uh, appropriate even if, uh, because, uh, again, it's one story that happened once. How do I know what he does the other days? But not to believe somebody was reporting it. 
make a rule, you know, tell them, tell everybody, all the don't you dare let strawberries out. But, but, not to, but to deny that I saw it, to say that I did not see it. I don't know. I hope, he, I hope he doesn't do that to everything. I know some rabbis, by the way, this is a, a, a very crucial issue we're talking about right now. Some rabbis, when you tell them you saw a bug, they, they won't believe you. They said, no, you don't see it, but you think you saw a bug. If you don't save the bug and give it to the rabbi, he doesn't believe you that he's, you saw a bug in his food. That's what, that's what a lot of people, that's how knee-jerk kind of reaction that people have, and it's unfortunate. Anyway, yes, if you see something like strawberries, it doesn't necessarily mean, that's what I see, that the rabbi and that the mashkiach knows about it. So, yes, we have to be a little bit uh, concerned about insect issues. And if something is strange that you don't eat in your house normally, so then, you know, you have to question whether you should eat it outside, or something of this nature which has a lot of insects in it. So these are just points that I'm giving you on the general topic of we want to share with our family, we want to share with people who are different than us. How far can we go? A little bit, I tried to help you today. Maybe I didn't get all of it done the right way. I asked Mechila. But I definitely think uh, we, we took up a little bit of the topic today, maybe differently than we had done in the past. And now I want to share with you, since we're talking about you know, the, the standards of Kashrus, I mentioned among my many things that I want to talk about, I mentioned 1931. This is a New York Times article, 1931, May 25th, okay? Mayor to see rabbis on fake kosher food. Wow, this sounds like today, right? Fake? Fake kosher food. Dwyer and Wine also to hear plea for a city remedy of alleged meat swindle. Charges that a great percentage of the meat and poultry sold in New York City as kosher is not kosher, will be discussed by Mayor Walker today with a large delegation of rabbis and representatives of Jewish organizations at a conference in the Board of Estimate Chamber at City Hall. It was wild in 1931 here in New York City. Yeah. The mayor has invited Commissioner of Accounts James Higgins, Markets Commissioner Thomas Dwyer, and Health Commissioner Shirley Wine to be present at 3 p.m., to hear the complaints of the rabbis. The mayor is said to have given assurance to the representatives of the Jewish organizations that steps would be taken to remedy the situation if they could be worked out. <laughs> the invitations to both Mr. Dwyer and Dr. Wine gave rise to the conjecture that the mayor would offer to transfer the inspection of kosher butchers from the Department of Markets to the Health Department as one possible solution of the problem. The mayor in the past has expressed the opinion that the change would be desirable. The rabbis charged, listen to this, at a recent convention that a very large percentage of the alleged kosher meat was not kosher, and that the Jewish population of the city thus was being swindled by collusion on the part of the meat dealers and the city inspectors. Kosher meat is sold at prices ranging from five to ten cents a pound higher than non-kosher. Well, that's that's small today, right? 
On, the ba- on this basis, the rabbis have alleged that the swindle amounts to several million dollars a year, which was a tremendous sum in 1931. And this is the way it was. So we're not living that way anymore. Baruch Hashem, it's not that way anymore. Occasionally there is a swindle. Occasionally a, a person, a Jew or a non-Jew, does try to rip off the people about kosher. But usually it isn't done that way. Very, 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 very small percentage of all the unauthorized use of a kosher symbol that's in our magazine is anything where, anything intentional. Very, very, very small percentage. Next we're going to try to take up the Kerrig machine. Now, this came, this question was asked of me a few days ago. So I decided to look into what the other people are saying in the, in the field because uh, the person wanted to buy a Kerrig machine that was used. And uh, now, there, believe me, what I'm going to tell you, there's probably somebody who says, don't do it. But I'm quoting the OU and the CRC from Chicago because I want you to hear what they're saying. Yet there probably are people who say, don't kosher a Kerrig machine. First of all, the Pesach, it can't be koshered. But maybe, you know, they wouldn't have koshered it for year-round use either. And it looks very simple what they're telling you to do. It's a three-step process. It doesn't take very much to do. But I'm going to tell you what is said. And what's interesting in this whole thing is the difference between how the OU puts it down and the CRC puts it down. And you'll see that in a minute. So the Kerrig machine is mostly made of plastic. And there's a big question mark if you can kosher plastic. So in general, we don't kosher plastic. But when we're forced to do it, we do it. And so for, for year-round use, not for Pesach, we, we, most people will let you kosher plastic. Whether it should be lechadchila, buy a trafer machine and buy and use it, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I would say something, when something gets trafed up in your house or whatever, the questionable things are used, maybe then we'll talk about it. I don't feel confidence in recommending it across the board, but this is the position of the OU and the CRC, and I want you to hear how they recommend it. Therefore, if one purchased a huge carriage, I'm meeting the OU, if one purchased a used carriage machine, they may kosher it, here are the three steps, by cleaning out the cup holder, make sure it has not been used for 24 hours, and then kosher by running hot water through the system. So three steps. Clean the, the cup holder well, and uh, make sure you didn't use it for 24 hours, and then you run hot water through the system. That's what the OU said. In Chicago, they have a little bit of a different take on it. Not much different. First of all, they tell you to look at a certain video, and the video describes the, the K-cup pack holder, and there's an, an instructional video that comes from Kerrig itself. The, uh, the CRC in Chicago tells you how to view that thing. I'm not going to tell you now. It's a long number, and I didn't make a short number for you. So if you, if you go to the CRC website, you'll find their, their, their recommendations, and that includes a, a video on how to clean this properly. Now, here's what it says in the CRC, which is, again, slightly different from the OU. You'll see in a second how. 
if the machine was possibly used for hot cocoa soup or K-cups, which contain other kosher-sensitive ingredients other than flavor, the Kerrig machine cannot be used without a hot koshering, which requires the following steps. Number one, thoroughly clean the needles. I don't even know what the needles are, but anybody who knows a Kerrig machine knows what the needles are. And if you don't, you'll see the video. You clean the needles and the K-cup pack holder as per the Kerrig instruction video. And he tells you where it is. Did not move the shoot, use the machine for 24 hours. And this is the difference now coming up to the third difference. The third one is the difference between the OU and the CRC. And then run two hot water cycles without a cup in the machine. So they require two. The OU requires one. Okay. That's the whole difference. That's the Kerrig machine. Now I come to a story that you will not believe that I'm really looking at something. You believe that I'm just imagining this. It, I, somehow, you know, when I didn't have anything for tonight, so I made this up. No, I didn't make it up. I'm looking right now at Dr. Jack Rubenstein. Dr. Jack Rubenstein is the associate professor in the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. And I'm looking at a picture of Dr. Jack putting on tefillin. And he conducted a study, which we're going to discuss. He's trying to see if there's heart benefits for wearing tefillin. I'm not joking. This is, with the, this is what goes on. This is from October 11th, 2018. This is right now. It's from the University of Cincinnati Academic Health Center. And, and here's, here's the, if I pointed out to the person who showed this to me, I said, take a look at the picture. I said, you'll see that Dr. Jack is putting the tefillin on with the boxes still on. You know that we wrap up the tefillin and put them into little boxes and then put them away in our bag? Well, Dr. Jack is putting on the tefillin with the boxes still on. I've never in my life seen anybody do that. Obviously, it isn't, you're not Yotze with that tefillin because the, the boxes interrupt between the, uh, they, 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 they are what we call a, a chatzitza. So it, it, it isn't halachic at all what he has over here. But this is what it says. Jack Robenstein, MD, associate professor in the division of cardiovascular health and UC Health Cardiologist says he enrolled 20 Jewish men living in greater Cincinnati, that's where he lives, nine who wear tefillin every day, and 11 who don't wear tefillin, but they're part of this study. His team of researchers recorded baseline information on all the participants during the early morning before they put on tefillin, and then additional data after wearing tefillin for 30 minutes. He's got a quick minion. My minion takes 45 to an hour. But he's got a quick minion. What can I tell you? They measured the participants' vital signs, drew blood for analysis of circulating cytokines. Now, you want to know what a cytokine is. I know you know, want to know what a cytokine is. I want to know also what's a cytokine. A cytokine, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, there are substances that secreted by cells of the immune system. The, so he's, they, are, they drew blood to analyze the circulating psychotines and monokite function. I can, do not know what that is. And also measured blood flow 
in the arm that's not wrapped with the tefillin. So they compared the, the, the hand that had the tefillin to the hand that didn't have the tefillin. Okay? And the uh, 20 people were between the ages of 18 and 40. Okay. Now, tefillin is, he, then he tries to describe what tefillin is to us, but I don't need, I think all of us listeners <laughs> know what tefillin is. Now, he, he says over here, Rubenstein says, the binding of the arm and the discomfort that uses orphan report, it's too tight, it hurts, may serve as a form of preconditioning. Hear this? That's, that tightness and, and hard to, to, to bear, too tight, right? It's a form of preconditioning and offer a substantial degree of protection against acute ischemic reperfusion injury. That's a tough one for me. It, uh, that means a section of the heart is deprived of oxygen and becomes damaged and then reoxygenated. That's what this thing is. It's, it's, it's preparing you for a time when you might lose some oxygen and have to come back. So you, you, you're, you're preconditioning yourself to that little mini change in flow that occurs as a result of a heart attack. One of the ways that protection occurs is through pain, says Rubenstein, also a member of the UC Heart, Lung, and Vascular Institute. Feeling pain is actually a preconditioning stimulus. We found people who wear tefillin, either in the short or long term, recorded a measurable positive effect on their blood flow. That has been associated with better outcomes in heart disease, says Rubenstein. This is wild. Can you imagine this? We never knew this. This came out, listen, I know I didn't know it because it came out October 11th. It's only a few days ago. But still in all, did you ever think that tefillin is going to save you? It's beautiful. right? I, I, who knows what the other mitzvahs are doing? Blood flow was higher for men who wore tefillin daily and improved in all participants after wearing it just once as part of the study. Do you know what the Gemara says? What's the worst person? A person who never put on tefillin in his life. Rubenstein said that if a person just did it one time, <laughs> I'm not making this up. He said he, he, said he, he found that a measurable positive effect on their blood flow, even from one time, unbelievable. Uh, even just wearing it once during the study, it it, 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 it it improved all the people's blood flow. It's just amazing. amazing. The Chazal, uh, 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 I mean, a million years ahead of everybody else. Then the Torah says to wear tefillin, but I'm saying with Chazal understood. Men who wore tefillin daily also had fewer circulating psychotines, signaling molecules that can cause inflammation and negatively impact the heart compared to non-users. Don't ask me to explain it to you. The point is, it helps. Suggesting that near daily use, I love that near daily, because you can't put it on Shabbos or Yom Tov, right? That near daily, and some people don't do on Yom Tov, that near, that near daily use elicits an effect similar to that observed with other methods of eliciting remote ischemic preconditioning-like effect. In other words, this works for preconditioning. 
to save you. Oh, you have pictures of it? Okay. What do you have of, of, of how it helps? Uh, I just want to tell you this research yeah. that's done uh, by a university. Uh, basically, you have a machine that's checking your electromagnetic field around your body and create different uh, this. So the guy, uh, and this is this machine developed because to find correlation between physical and mental issue and the people and the person. So a guy in the university uh, heard it and he said that he heard that, that when you put fill in, it changed your all arrow, uh, arrow around his body. So he put it, it basically took a picture of himself before and after he take it later and it was amazed he just the tan the child changed the color change basically all day around his body was a total different hello what you call electromagnetic field that's called you know and he picked up starting pulling people from the hallway of the university and put them at filling they they start taking the filling Apart, only the 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 the, uh, the cloth, only the that's it didn't all. work. Didn't work. Only cash, kosher, kosher feeling, and he find that basically certain stuff like non-Jewish didn't help them, you know, and it was it's a it's a big big research. It's amazing. Amazing. And 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 here this is also, and feeling and acupuncture. Yeah, that are better. This this, this, yeah. this is this is like. That, that it, that it works like acupuncture. Yeah. They, they, they studied the parts of, of each part, the acupuncture, each part of the arm and the hand and the head. It's it, it amazing how it's the parts, the places. It, it's, uh, there definitely has been study in that. But this was the first I ever heard about heart and blood flow and whatever the other words were that I couldn't understand. <laughs> in any event, Rubenstein says that there were studies out of Israel that found Orthodox men have a lower risk of dying of heart disease compared to non-Orthodox men. You hear that? I don't know if it's got to do with tefillin alone, but he says maybe they're more relaxed, maybe they, they have more bitachon and, and they don't get so excited. But it says here that, that that's the, fun, the studies that they're finding in Israel, that Orthodox men have a lower risk of dying of heart diseases compared to non-Orthodox men. So I think this was... It sounds wild. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, say that it's it's scientific uh, 150%, but it really is interesting. And I, I think that this Rubenstein is not an orthodox man himself. I don't know if he personally puts on tefillin. Maybe he does now, <laughs> because he doesn't know how to put it on over here and doesn't seem to be wearing a yarmulke. So I don't know if it is. Maybe he is a religious Jew. I, don't, I hope he shouldn't be offended if he is. <laughs> and the, the, the picture maybe was just for a picture. Okay, maybe, maybe we didn't get it right. But that's the way it seems from the picture over here, that, it, that it's in boxes. In any event, we learned an interesting thing about how a Kaddish Baruch Hu gave us a Torah and mitzvahs in order to help us in our daily life. That just as it gives us moral support, psychological support, now we learn that also the Torah and the mitzvahs give us physical support, that, there, that it helps uh, in, in, to live a longer life, a more healthy life, a more happy life, the Torah and the mitzvahs. And anybody who um, wants to use these materials, you know, I'm going to read a, tell you again where this, is, where this is found. If you want to find it, um, I don't really have, it's the University of Cincinnati Academic Health Center, and um, this particular article 
it just says about it says researchers say ritual for Orthodox Jewish men may offer heart benefits. October 11, 2018. So if you maybe you can find it if you want to, if you need it that badly, so contact me. I'll try to get it. I don't have the time for it, but if I can find it again and pull it out for you, I'll try. Uh, it's, it's, you know, when you talk about the, we're really close to that Shabbos project now. I'm slightly involved in it. And um, the, the Shabbos project is tackling one area, but people need to be exposed. People who are not yet observant need to be exposed to the beauties of our religion and to see that actually not just that uh, people uh, uh, are uh, you know, they're, they're the same as us, but that actually a person who is observant of Torah and mitzvahs has a different quality of life. And I think psychologically, the, a from person has a completely different attitude towards life and is much happier, much more accepting, much more capable of dealing with some of the difficult things that happen in this world. So that's, that concludes basically what I want to work on tonight. I'll have to save the other pieces about the fish with legs, etc., for a future week. It's a very interesting article, unbelievable, about the fish with legs. It's a, certain, it's a, real, it's a real thing. It's called, I, I mean, you won't believe it, it's called, uh, it's called Stinkus Marinus. But it's a, it has a fish type, type of thing and has legs, has scales and legs. We'll talk about it in session maybe next week. And it's real, and all the Shilas, all the Rabbanon dealt with it in the, over the centuries. So it, it's really a very interesting topic. Uh, we want to point out that we now have the... Uh, the 2019-2020 Kosher Supervision Guide to the 1,427 kosher agencies worldwide. We also have the October issue of Kosher's Magazine. If you're interested in getting either one of them, you can contact, contact us at 718-336-8544 or contact us with a, an email at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Um, you can leave a message. If no one's there, we'll get back to you. And we'd love to have you start reading Kasha's magazine and staying up with everything that's happening, all these wonderful things, interesting things that are happening in the world of Kashrus. It's constantly, constantly, constantly changing every single day. There's uh, unbelievable things happen in the field in, in the course of a week. Also, I want to remind the people that uh, there's this new radio, Nucky Radio, and it's available you can contact the station, but I, I would advise you, if you can, to wait till next week because I hope to have a special offer where you'll be able to get a very special, I can't tell you the details now, a very special arrangement just from our radio show uh, through JRoot, but it's just a special thing for the people from our radio show. So wait a week if you can, but definitely you have to get this radio, the Nucky radio. It's extraordinarily helpful because you're now going back to where we have, you can have the J-Root Road running 24-6 in your house. And it will convert, if you, have, if you got addicted again to, to WINS and, and other, other radio shows, now you can go back to listening constantly to the Torah and the, and the thoughts and the psychological support and the music and all, this, all the wonderful things as part of J-Root. So I want to thank everybody for joining us, and we hope you'll tune in next week. If you want to reach me for anything during the week, my telephone again, 
1-800-848-8544. Until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. <laughs>